are now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. The AFC and NFC divisional rounds are in the books. It is championship weekend coming up. Holy geez, what a weekend. Once again, the Patriots are in the AFC championship for the eighth straight year. Rich Hill, I heard a stat the other day, and that stat was the last time that Tom Brady was not playing in the AFC championship, the guy he's playing next weekend, Patrick Mahomes, couldn't even legally drive yet. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, the what the Patriots have done this decade is obviously unprecedented. This is a record eight straight. I don't know if we'll ever see this again. And I just want to give a huge tip of the cap to Bill Belichick and company for getting them this far every single year because – no other fan base gets to say, I care about football late in January every <laughs> single year. And whether or not they win or lose, there have been seasons where they didn't really have a chance or I wouldn't have given them much of a chance like in 2013 against the Broncos or when they are heavily favored like when they played the Colts in 2015. At least they're there. And I'm so happy that we get to talk about the Patriots as opposed to a lot of these other teams that are in Buffalo. That would just be disappointing. <laughs> yeah, man, it's crazy. My, my friends are all having kids now, and none of my friends' kids have lived in a world where there wasn't a Patriots team in the A's championship. It's nuts. But we'll get to that in a little bit. That's ahead of ourselves. I think it was a pretty good weekend of football overall. Let's start with the NFC, Rich. Cowboys played the Rams. Eagles played the Saints. The one and two seeds, Rams and Saints, are advancing to the NFC Championship. Let's start with the Cowboys game. Did you catch that game? What did you think of the Rams and their performance? Yeah, I mean, the, the Rams put in a pretty dominant performance. They ran up the score 23-7 uh, in the third quarter. They were running the ball extraordinarily effectively, and while they didn't have that great of a, of a day passing the ball, they didn't need to, and they got the job done. I mean, they have a great tandem in Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks, but it was really the story on the ground. And part of it is that the Cowboys... They have a great secondary. Their defensive front is not as good as the players in the secondary. So the Rams said, you know what? Let's just let's just run the ball. And so CJ Anderson, Todd Gurley, they combined for 238 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. Wow. Absolutely enormous. Great story with CJ Anderson. This is a Rams team, honestly, of the four teams remaining. I mean, they were super hot in the middle of the year. I still think that they, I mean, these are the four best teams in the league. They're just as good as everyone else remaining. No, they are. You know, I mean, they'll be playing the Saints going to New Orleans. That was a great game in the regular season. I don't think New Orleans looked that good, Rich. They needed a last-minute interception to beat the Eagles. Philly was up 14 nothing early. The Saints have not looked great down the stretch, whereas, as you mentioned, the Rams kind of faltered a bit in the middle of the season. They came back with a vengeance in the playoffs. These guys love playing for Sean McVay. McVay versus Peyton, Breeze versus Goff. That should be a really good matchup. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think these are the two best teams in the NFC. And for my money, they were the two best teams in the NFL this year. Uh, you could throw the Chiefs in there as well. But this Rams team, 
They are just so well-rounded on offense. They're one squad that I don't want the Patriots to play because I don't know how you match up with them across the board because uh, Gurley can catch the ball out of the backfield. So can C.J. Anderson. They're both extraordinarily talented. But you got two receivers with 1,200-plus yards in Woods and Cooks. They have such a genius offensive play scheme where anyone can get the ball at any point in time. It's just... They are just a very, very dynamic team. They did a great job against the Cowboys, who, you know what, to their credit, they had a solid season, but it was very obvious that the Rams outclassed them, and they're going to have their hands full against the Saints next week. Yeah, they are. I mean, you're right. The Cowboys overachieved. We've been saying that for a while. They overshot their coverage a bit. I'm excited for what they're going to bring to the table next year. I think they have a good core in place. But uh, let's see. I'm excited to see Amari Cooper with a full year in that system. But they they went as far as they should have gone, and, and good for the Rams to, to advance the NFC Championship game. But again, Rich, I touched this a little earlier in the podcast a bit ago. Are you concerned about the Saints at all? If you're a Saints fan, are you worried about how this team performed down the stretch a bit, and that the Eagles took them to, down to the wire after a was it 48 to seven shellacking earlier in the regular season? Yeah, I mean that that definitely is a cause for concern. You get down to the hole 14-0. That's not a good thing. Uh, I mean, the part of it wasn't even just turning the ball over, uh, but it's just that this Saints team hasn't been as dynamic for whatever reason or another, and they've kind of turned into a, a two-pony show. And by that, I mean they have a fantastic backfield with Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. They're just really, really great together. But only one of them is really ever going to get the ball at any point in time, and you have... Michael Thomas, who, in my mind, top three wide receiver in the league, all pro this year. That's their offense. You're going to have one running back on the field at a point in time, and then you got the the wide receiver. I don't know if it's the case of teams figuring out the Saints because they're very, very dynamic. And, I mean, they are a very, very good team, and their defense has continued to improve. But I don't know. The Saints team, of the offenses that remain in the postseason, they're the ones that scare me the least. I mean, yeah, man, to your point, Mike Thomas this past weekend had 12 catches for 171 yards and a TD, which is ridiculous numbers. The second leading receiver for the Saints was Ted Ginn, three catches for 44 yards. Remember him? <laughs> including a long of 21. So let me take away a 21-yard catch. He had two catches for about 20 yards. That's the second leading receiver on the Saints. So, yeah, man, I mean, if you can take away the 140 yards of rushing offense or 135 yards, whatever it was, of rushing offense the Saints had – that's going to be a very long day for them. I'm very glad they're at home. Uh, I'm I'm not sure what the spread is as of this conversation. I don't know if you know or not. Three and a half points to the Saints. Wow. Okay. So not, they're 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 slight slight a favorites, but not by much. This is basically a, a pick 'em game. I don't know, man. It should be a really good one. I'll be curious to see which team shows up. There's always that that mantra of you don't have two crappy games in a row or you don't have two great games in a row. I think the Rams are coming off a great game. The Saints are coming off a mediocre game. But the good news is I think that both teams know that they're playing the other best team in this conference, and they'll both bring it. It should be fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these, as I said before, two best teams in the entire conference. They are where they should be. Saints beat them in the regular season, so they deserve to have that home field advantage. Will they be able to beat the Rams? We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it is hard to beat teams two weeks or two times in the same season, especially when they're as talented as these two teams. But we'll break down our predictions for that one on Thursday. But at the end of the day, I mean, if I'm the Patriots, I'm rooting for the Saints to win. I know that yeah, Drew Brees is a great quarterback, and it's hard to say I, I want that specific team to, to be in the, the Super Bowl. But 
ultimately, uh, when it comes to defending offenses, I think that the Saints offense is a little bit easier for the Patriots to defend because they match up well with Stephon Gilmore against Michael Thomas and they, they can handle the, the Saints defense in a way that I don't know if they could handle Aaron Donald up the middle with the Rams. So yeah, we'll, we'll break down that one a little bit later. I think we should turn our focus to the AFC where uh, Kansas City, let's break down this game. Colts were on the road against Kansas City. They got shellacked 31-13. It wasn't as close as that score suggests. Adam Vinatieri, tear on my my cheek right now, did not have a great game. Uh, Missed a a kick, missed an extra point. So when you were watching this game, Alec, what was going through your head? I couldn't stop laughing. I think it was the Rod Woodson tweet that said, now he misses in the snow. Great. (laughs) Great line. Yeah, I mean, I I picked the Colts to win this game. It's up on the internet for the world to see. I had the Colts as the hottest team in the NFL coming into the playoffs. Dominant performance in the AFC wildcard game. Came into Kansas City, and there's just no stat you can point to from Indianapolis that even remotely comes close to matching what the Chiefs were able to do. Uh, they only, I was actually, the most surprising to me, the Chiefs only scored 14 points in the first quarter. I thought there was more than that. There was just no point where this game was remotely close. 30, uh, 29 first downs to 15 first downs. 0 for 9 on third down, the Colts were. They just didn't have anything going. The time of possession wasn't close. There was just a an absolutely down in performance. 40 minutes of 20 minutes of possession time. She's in favor of that. It was just a remarkable performance from Kansas City. Most assuredly, though, for me, though, and most worrying to me, Rich, is how well the defense played uh, mm-hmm. against a Colts team that lit up their opponent in the wild card round. So where did this Chiefs defense come from? Yeah, right. I mean, they are a completely different team at home than they are on the road. I believe Football Outsiders is doing a preview right now, and they say that the Chiefs have the third most uh, heckling jo- or uh, Jekyll and Hyde type of defense in the entire league in the sense that they are absolutely atrocious on the road, but they're pretty good at home. You know, they're, they're an entirely different team. They get to have the benefit of the home field advantage, crowd noise, and everything like that. They don't do that on the road, um, but when they, they've been able to hold pretty solid teams uh, while at home with the big caveat, in my mind, the big caveat that when they played good offenses, they've allowed some points. I mean, the teams that they've stifled have been the Raiders, which they gave three points, the Cardinals, 14, the Jaguars, 14, the Bengals with 10. Those are not great teams, you know, and so the fact that they held them, they had great defensive performances, but they weren't against good offenses. But as you said, this was a hot Colts team. So this was a little bit of a surprise for me. I was not expecting the Colts to be held to 13 points against a weak Chiefs defense. Kansas City did a great job generating a lot of pressure up the middle, but also they did a really good job stopping the run, forcing them into long down situations. And all, I mean, honestly, the best defense is a good offense in this case, where they ran out to a 17-0 lead and they were able to force the Colts to be one-dimensional. And a lesson for the Patriots, you can't let the Chiefs do that because that they have such a good pass rush that you can't allow them to pin their ears back and go after the quarterback. You just can't. 
No, for sure. And it's not even that, like, the Colts' offense was bad, like you mentioned. You know, I think the Colts could have hemmed with them. I really thought, I think we joked about there being no punts in this game. Um, but I just feel like Indy never was able to get into a rhythm. That offensive line that's done such a great job protecting Andrew Luck all season long did not get it done. Uh, he was sacked three times, which isn't a whole lot, but still it's more than he got last week by, by leaps and bounds. He's never got into a rhythm. At no point did this game seem close. And it was yeah, you said it, man. It was just it was just a, a Indianapolis Colts team that was just straight up outclassed by the Kansas City Chiefs, and they proved that they are the one seed for a reason. There was always this talk about the Chiefs in the postseason and Andy Reid's decision making and his clock management, blah blah blah. If they play the way they played on Sunday, this coming Sunday, the Patriots, it's going to be a very long day for Tom Brady and company. Oh, seriously, seriously. I mean, you hold Andrew Luck to 53% completion rate. That's a great showing. And you look at the receivers that he's dealing with. T.Y. Hilton only caught four of his 11 targets. But, you know, Colonel of Hope for New England. Number two receiver, Dontrell Inman. Inman had 55 yards on four catches, so maybe that means Chris Hogan could have some success down the field. Eric Ebron, you know, didn't have the best day of his career, but he had a little bit of success, five for 51. And Rodgers, their, their slot guy, caught five of his six targets. So if I'm the Patriots and I'm looking at this saying, all right, well, Edelman, let's see, let's see what you can do. You carried us last week. Let's see if we can do it again. But even more concerning for me is watching that Chiefs offense. I mean, putting up 31 points. If they put up 31 points against the Patriots, I don't expect New England to win that. So the Patriots have to limit them. And they just have such a dynamic team now that Sammy Watkins is back. They just have four players in their offense that can completely take it over. I mean, you have Tyreek Hill, who had 108 yards and a touchdown in that game. You have Damian Williams, the running back, who had like 154 yards and a touchdown. You have Travis Kelsey, 108 yards. And you throw in Sammy Watkins there as your number four option. If Sammy Watkins is your number four option coming out there throwing out 62 yards, that's tough. That's really tough to defend. They show that they are one of the most dynamic offenses in the league and honestly one of the most dynamic offenses in league history. So the Patriots are going to have their hands full and there is no sign of slowing down from Kansas City. Well, Rich Hill, the fact that you and I are sitting here worrying about the AFC Championship game means that the Patriots are in the AFC Championship game. And that's something to be thankful for. They shellacked the Chargers in a game that a lot of people, I think including you, Rich Hill, did not see coming. Um, I don't think anybody anticipated a 35-7 to score at halftime. That's just ridiculous. The Patriots scored on their first five possessions. It was just a, a beatdown from basically the opening whistle. The Patriots marched right down the field from their opening possessions, scored. Chargers, Chargers answered right back, and then it was just the route was on. I have not seen the Patriots play this well from start to finish in a divisional game in a very long time, Rich. Usually they're a little slow out of the gate. They take some time to get themselves woken back up from the bye week, and then they wake up late and, and put it on a third and fourth quarter. But they came out from the start – ran it down their throat, utilized the play action. Julian Edelman went off. Gronkowski had a Gronkowski-esque catch and run for 25 yards. We broke a couple of tackles. Just a complete performance all around from offense and defense. And if you're going to go into a tough place like Kansas City, this is a great game before that to go into, get some good confidence built up. Yeah, uh, for the record, I want to say that I predicted the Chargers would score 27 points. So, you know, <laughs> let that let that stand. Uh, I just got the Patriots points reversed. Uh, yeah, 24. 24 points. Of, yeah. Tw yeah, right? Um, yeah, this was a very, very 
fantastic game from the Patriots. Start to finish, complimentary football. They were just so successful with their game plan that they had. I have a major tip of the cap to both Josh McDaniels and Brian Flores, but also huge wag of the finger to the Chargers for not knowing that this is what the Patriots were going to do. I mean, I was watching this entire game, I don't know about you, I wasn't surprised by a single thing that the Patriots did. You could watch... So, for those listening, the Chargers defensive coordinator is Gus Bradley, formerly of the Jacksonville Jaguars, also formerly of the Seattle Seahawks. So, he plays the same defense that the Seattle Seahawks do, which is cover three. We broke that down in our preview a little bit. And the Patriots have a lot of experience against this cover three defense, against the Seahawks in Super Bowl 49, against the Falcons with their head coach Dan Quinn, also of the Pete Carroll coaching tree in Super Bowl 51. And any Patriots fan who watched that could tell you, oh, running back's going to be important. They're going to get the ball out of the backfield a lot. Definitely watch out for them. And also, oh, watch out for the slot receiver. Julian Edelman is probably going to get a lot of targets against linebackers in the middle of the field or just take advantage of that zone. And guess what happened? James White, 15 catches in the postseason. 15 catches. And... Of course the Patriots are going to go to him. And Edelman also, you look at Edelman and White, they combined for 30 targets of Brady's 44. We all knew that those were the two that were going to get all the attention out of the backfield. So, yeah, we knew what was happening and the Chargers couldn't stop him. And so I don't even know what to take away from this game other than uh, the Chargers just didn't make the necessary coaching decisions out of the gate. And it was just seemed like it was really easy for the Patriots, honestly, in the entire first half. It was just too easy for them. Yeah, I mean, it was. Not only that, you know, they were they were predictable to the point where you could tell as a casual fan from the personnel on the field what they were going to doing. They'd march out, Sony Michelle and Dave Devlin's like, oh, they're going to run it. And they go James White, it's like, oh, it's a passing play. And so if I could predict what was going to happen based on their formation, how could the Chargers not predict? And then at least adjust. If you want to come out with your 7-DB package and you want to do it worth last week against the Ravens, all right, you can do that in the first quarter and see what's going on. But they just didn't have an answer, and there were no adjustments whatsoever from San Diego. There was zero pressure. Brady did not get sacked once. He got hurried maybe twice, but the pocket was phenomenally clean. He did not need to wash his jersey at all after this game. Great job with the offensive line. What a job Rob Gronkowski does a blocking tight end. So with these, true. With these small guys on the field. Well, if you've got a bunch of DBs out there and you've got all 100, 350 pounds of Trent Brown and all 270 of James White and 270 Rob Gronkowski, of course they're going to run it down your throat. I mean, that, that's not a, a, a difficult decision to make, and I just do not understand why the Chargers didn't make any adjustments whatsoever, didn't go bigger in their defensive personnel, and didn't throw at least like one or two blitzes in there. If it's not working, you got to fix it. And the Patriots just scored and scored, and the game was over by halftime, and then they could just sit back and just let the clock milk out pretty much. And the 28-41 is not even remotely close to what the score should have been. It was over well before that. And what makes me very happy about this, Rich, is it just shows the versatility of the Patriots' offense and those old-school offensive schemes where did not need to throw the ball 50 times. He threw it 44, but he didn't need to. You don't have to rely on Tom Brady. Or you don't have to rely on your defense in a strong running game. It is such a versatile offense that we've seen the past three weeks with the Bills, the Jets, and now the Chargers. They will do whatever the defense dictates, and that's they're fine with that. And I think that's exactly what they should have done. And if I'm the Chargers, I'm embarrassed today 
But if I'm the Patriots, I'm very happy, and I have a lot of momentum going into Kansas City. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see how the Patriots were able to enforce their will on the ground. Sony Michelle, 129 yards on the ground, 5.4 yards per carry, three rushing touchdowns. He was showing power that we haven't seen all year. He was doing such a great job out there. Alec, when you see this Patriots offense, what what like you say that they change week after week between you know weeks 16 and then this divisional round. Do we have an identity for this Patriots offense? I've I've been harping on that all year of like who are these Patriots? What are they doing? Do we kind of finally have it? I mean, now that Josh Gordon's gone, I feel like we kind of know who they are again. It's going to be Edelman. He brings so much toughness to the field, and you're going to bring a lot of toughness on the ground with the run game. Is this just like a, a really tough, potentially quote-unquote eye-roll-inducing underdog team? Because I think that's like what they're putting out on the field. Yeah, I know. I think that's very apt. You know, my all-time favorite video game, Rich, is Mike Tyson Punch-Out for Nintendo with Little Mac going up against Soda Popinski and King Hippo and Piss on Honda. I may have dated myself and maybe some people listening out there that never heard of the game before, but it's a great game, old-school Nintendo. And <laughs> what that game did, basically, you had to figure out what your opponent's weaknesses were, what their tricks were, what the timing was to get the dodges and the punches and that, that magical star that gave it the uppercut to knock them out. And I feel like that's what Patriots do in this season. They have figured out their own personnel. They figured out their own scheme. And so what they do is they look at their opponent. They see what their weaknesses are. They see the timing of their particular offensive and defensive personnel schemes and, and whatnot. And they adjust accordingly. And they will run it 5,000 times if they have to. They'll throw it if they have to. And, yeah, I mean, if you look at Tom Brady and how he acted after the game where he said, I think it was uh, Tracy Wilson, where he said, everyone thinks we suck and we can't win any games, we'll see. Uh, that is a very un-Tom Brady response in a press conference or interview of any kind. So I think the Patriots are really embracing the underdog role, the us-against-them mentality, and that's good because they're going to need it in a couple couple days. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic to see that this offense has really settled in, and I, I would love for them to continue this tear that they've been on where, I mean, Philip Dorsett, please continue to keep him involved because he's so good. He deserves to stay involved. It just seems like the Patriots, for a stretch in the season, they were just so focused on, you know, whether it was getting the ball to Josh Gordon or trying to force it to Chris Hogan. It feels like that's in the past. They know, like, you know what, Edelman works, James White works. Let's just give it to them. They'll figure it out. And so that's what they've been doing, and I love seeing that. Uh, one unit of the Patriots that will not be considered an underdog, though, is their defense because they did a fantastic job against the Chargers, running out to such an early lead this Chargers offense, in my mind, was possibly up there with the Rams as the offense that scared me the most, specifically due to the versatility. Because you have Melvin Gordon, who's such a good do-everything running back, catch it out of the backfield, he can run it. You got three great big receivers. You got Keenan Allen, you got Mike Williams, got Tyrell Williams. Those are three big players out there. Throw in Antonio Gates, the return of Hunter Henry. This was an, This was a basketball team out there. And this Patriots defense shut them out. Did such a good job. If you had to give the game ball to one player on the Patriots defense, who would it be and why? Man, that's a good question. You know, indeed, the, the name that immediately came to mind was, was Trey Flowers uh, and just how disruptive he was along the interior of that defensive line. The number of stunts 
him and Dante Hightower ran in that game made no sense to me. How can you run so many stunts and have them work every single time? Do you not know how to pass all the blocker offensive line of the Chargers? Um, so I, the, my, you know, my, my initial kind of thought went to, went to Trey Flowers, but man was Stephon Gilmore good in this game. So he, gave up, he gave up that one uh, double move, which, you know, Allen's a good receiver. He's got a, he, got, he got burned on that. He was moving the inside zone. Keenan Allen faked him out, did not miss a beat after that. So I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split it with Gilmore and Flowers because they just dominated their respective spots on the field, and everyone else was allowed to do their job so much better because of what they were bringing to the table. Oh, absolutely. I love that. I mean, I, I agree with both of those picks. Uh, two other ones that I want to highlight, though, specifically J.C. Jackson, who did a fantastic job out there playing against both of the Williams out there. Uh, I, I think, and I'll have to go further into the film review on this, but I believe that. I mean, Jason McCourty was getting taken to the cleaners a little bit <laughs> against the Chargers. A lot of it in garbage time, but early on. And so they flipped the responsibilities of J.C. Jackson and Devin McCourt, or Jason McCourty because they recognize, you know what, let's make an adjustment. And unlike the Chargers, the Patriots make those adjustments. And J.C. Jackson did such a good job. I believe for like the first three quarters, he only allowed two catches for, on six targets for like 20 yards. And he's an undrafted rookie. He's putting together one incredible season. I love what the future will hold for him. And so I think that his production against the Chargers deserves a lot of credit. But if I were to give the game ball to one person, it would be Mr. Dante Hightower. Because yeah. Hightower had himself a game, possibly the best one of his of the entire season, best one since he's returned from injury. And it doesn't show up in the stats, uh, the stat sheet. He only had two tackles on the day. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, it's kind of like, oh, wait, what are you talking about? Dude was after Philip Rivers at every single possible turn. And every, I think he had, according to uh, Jeff Howe of The Athletic, he had 12 disruptions on the day. Whenever he was going after, after Rivers, he got home. He was making his day miserable. A lot of those pressures came on third down. The, the Chargers did not do well on third down, if you're surprised. You know, 5 of 13, a lot of that in garbage time. And so major, major defensive tip of the cap to Dante Hightower because without him, I don't know what the Patriots defense would have done. But in my mind, the Patriots defense is only as good as its linebackers, and the Patriots need to have Hightower put together these games in the postseason because otherwise they're, they're going to be facing three incredible offenses if, if they continue to move forward. No, they are. And I'm actually glad you mentioned Hightower because the Patriots actually have done very well uh, that the, on years that Hightower is healthy. Every year that Dante Hightower has been healthy, they've won the Super Bowl. So let's hope he can stay healthy. It's, it's really true. Belichick defenses run through the linebackers. They have all the way back in the, since the Teddy Bruschi and, and Ted Johnson days, and the, that's just kind of how they do it. Uh, even special teams got in on it. Alvin McClellan is some kind of special teams ace. Right. Because he's blocked punts. He recovers punts. He's just in the right place at the right time. All three phases of the game, great punting game. Uh, Ghost was, was good when he needed to be. They didn't really need him that much because they were so dominant in the first half. But this is a complete, complete team victory put the Chargers away handily, and I'm excited to see what's going to be the game of the year next week at Arrowhead. I wish it was in Foxborough, but the good news is, Rich, it's going to be pretty cold there in Kansas City, and cold-weather game's favorite Tom Brady should be a good one, man. Oh, absolutely, and we'll break this down on Thursday. We'll have all more information on patspulpit.com, but 
Alec, do you have any final thoughts on the divisional round, or are you ready, like I am, to move on to the conference championship round? Yeah, I mean, they say the Patriots season doesn't start until the AC championship, so let's get started with this. <laughs> yeah, for the eighth straight year, I look forward to breaking this down. Uh, Alec, until Thursday, you have a good one. See you, buddy. Later, man. Everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor in chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast. My friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Verge Cast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. To listen to podcasts, check it out.